All right, we're going to read through this. Before we do it, I think I should probably make it clear because sometimes when we, uh, when we jump into a passage of Scripture uh, and you don't know what's happening around it, you just kind of parachute it in and it's like, wait, whoa, one guy seems really upset. What's going on? We don't know, right? So uh, in case you didn't catch up and read this morning, because I know some of you did, right? Some of you woke up and were like, oh, we're in Galatians. Before I get to church, I should read the first chapter. All right, I just tried it on. Just, just <laughs> testing it out. Just seeing. All right. <laughs> but for those who didn't, let me, let me, let me kind of make it, make it clear that there is an accusation that has prompted Paul to respond the way we're about to read that he responds. And uh, the crux of this accusation is this. Uh, Jesus, when he came, he picked his 12 disciples. And the, these are the ones that he spent his three and a half years with. Uh, and these are the ones that he taught. These are the ones that he loved. These are the ones that he raised and sort of nurtured in the gospel. And here this Paul guy comes uh, to some people's minds, uh, uh, more of a, of a Johnny come lately thing. I realize that's, that's not something young people say. Um, <laughs> It's going to happen a few more times. Just get used to it. Uh, uh, he comes after the fact. There's this extra, like we have the 12, and then there's this Paul guy who is preaching this gospel uh, to the Gentiles or to Galatia but that's different, that, that has some, some different nuances than Jerusalem or than the gospel that they're used to hearing. And, and there are some people that come from Jerusalem that are basically trying to discredit the gospel that Paul's preaching by discrediting Paul. And, and one of the accusations that they're levying, and it's a heavy one, it makes sense to some degree, is, hey, he wasn't even one of the main ones. He showed up after the fact. So the only way he could get that gospel he's preaching, y'all, is if he went to Jerusalem, checked out what they were talking about, changed some things, and brought it to y'all to make it easier for y'all to be a part of. This gospel that Paul is preaching to Galatia, uh, that people from Jerusalem think that it's actually a, a, a dumbed-down version or a light gospel version. It's the, it's the version of the gospel that you get when you don't want to pay for the subscription. You with me? Nah. Some of y'all, that's the only app you got in your phone. Some of y'all, that's... All right, you in good company. It's all right. <clears throat> but it's this idea being levied against Paul that there is this light version of the gospel that he's not giving them the whole thing. He's giving them this, this Gentile version of the gospel that makes it easier uh, to abide by or to get into, but doesn't require as much of them. And as such, it isn't quite as worth as much as the original gospel that people have heard from Jerusalem. There's this notion that they come and, and their ideas, and believe me, they believe that it's a God call, that it's a God mission. They think that they're right. They think this, that they are going to come to Galatia after Paul now has moved on, and they're going to help these people out. Paul gave them some gospel. But their mindset is this. We're going to come explain Judaism to you, and we're going to help you get the climax conversion. We're going to help you get out of that gospel light and into the real thing. We're going to give you the full expression of what the gospel is. And the way to start this conversation is to decredit uh, this leader named Paul to say that, no, 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 no. Paul ain't even one of the real ones. He was extra. He, he came after the fact. He only got it because he went to Jerusalem, heard what they were doing, and changed some things around and brought it to y'all. Now if, you, now, if you're with me, then when we read this, it's going to make a little bit more sense because if you don't, you're going to think, well, why is it so important to Paul that he make it clear that the gospel he has, he didn't get from people? 
Well, this is why. Because the argument is Paul copied this gospel, changed what he wanted to, and gave it to y'all to make it easier on y'all. And as such, you don't have the real thing. You with me? All right, now let's read. <clears throat> it says this, verse 10. <clears throat> For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Jesus. Notice he says still. That means he was at one point. <laughs> Verse 11. Uh, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Somebody ought to bold that or highlight that. Scroll it. Do we still highlight? Is that a thing? I don't, I don't know. All right. Verse 12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor have heard of, <clears throat> of my, fo- I'm sorry, nor was taught it, or was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Uh, among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But when he who set me apart before I was born, and he who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. We're going to pause there because, again, see, <laughs> thank, thank the Lord, see, that's seasoned saints right there. They just they heard a twinkle in your throat and said, you know what? My spiritual gift is help. Amen. Amen, Pastor Uh This is why this is important. It's because, again, Paul is being discredited so that they can discredit the gospel that Paul has preached or that he's given. Right? And so their idea is that Paul isn't one of the original ones. He came to Jerusalem. Uh, he learned basically what he taught y'all from us. So it makes sense that Judaizers would come and want to fill it in because, again, they're postulating or they're saying essentially he kind of came, learned it from us, and then gave y'all something different. What Paul is saying to, to refute that is this the gospel that I preached to you all, literally in the Hebrew, the gospel I gospeled, basically, uh, did not come from any man. In other words, it wasn't a man-made invention. He's saying essentially that what I taught you, no man taught me. This is what he's saying. He's saying that what I taught to you, I did not get from any man, but instead he got it by revelation from Jesus the Christ. Now, I realize I had saved this for later on in the message, right? But I realized that for some of us, at first glance, this doesn't seem like that big a deal. I realized that some of us are going to go, all right, people said Paul got his gospel from Jerusalem. Paul said, well, hey, after I got converted, I didn't even go to Jerusalem. Three years, I was in uh, Damascus, and I got ran out, went to Arabia. I was in the wilderness for some time, and then I went back. By the time I went to Jerusalem to kick it with, or get acquainted with Peter, and I met the Lord's brother, he said it had been three years since my conversion. Uh, what he's saying is essentially, I didn't even go to Jerusalem. No one there taught me what I taught you. Everything I gave you, I gave it to you directly from revelation that I got through Jesus Christ. 
And I realize some of us are going to go, all right, well, that makes sense. Paul says he got it from heaven. I guess he got it from heaven. But Fonz, how does that affect my life? Because I got bills. I got a job. There's inflation. Fruit is through the roof. You ever bought an apple before? It's crazy. I thought I was juicing. Not that much, right? <laughs> Gas is high. Bills are high. Some of us are in marriages we don't like. Let's be clear. Not me. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> Let's be clear. Please be clear. Not me. Y'all, I'm joking. <laughs> the, <laughs> the idea is... Uh, in a life where there's so many things going on, there's family issues. Some of you got jobs you don't like. You, you want to get this job, this profession. This, there's all of these other issues and all of the things you're facing. And this conversation about did the gospel come from man or did it come from God may seem like it's of no regard to that. It's unfortunate that it does because what it really does is kind of reveal that we've kind of bought the decoration around us maybe a little too much. See, I'm, I'll be honest with y'all. I can talk to y'all, right? You, you seem cool. Right? I'm not the most Christmassy guy around. I'll be honest with you. Like, put the tree up, don't put the tree. It wouldn't really, you know what I mean? If it's there, I got to put stuff under it. If it ain't there, I got to make stuff into a tree out of prayer. Either way, it doesn't really, I'm, I'm not really moved by that kind of stuff. Now, maybe it's because I grew up with older people didn't really care about it. I don't know. But it, that's not a big thing to me, right? Somehow, not sure how, I asked questions, they weren't answered, but I married a woman who would put a tree up today if she didn't think there'd be ridicule. All right? I married a woman who will listen to Christmas music when it's hot outside. Doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand it, right? We need grace in our marriage every day. Mostly for me, sometimes for her. The point is that while that's not my scene, <laughs> and I don't have that proclivity, I'm married to someone who very much wants it, and so it's a thing in my house. And it's very, very easy what I, that I find that, that my wife, if she can create a certain amount of decoration, it changes her mood. This is one reason why, I'll be honest with you, I stopped at about year seven or eight, I stopped fighting it. Put the tree, hey baby, you want to put the tree up? No, put the tree up. Oh, you want lights too? Oh, you need double lights. Oh, you want the lights that you control with the remote? Get the lights that you control with the remote. You know why? Because what I realized is when she builds this decoration, it actually affects her. It affects her mood. She's happier. And in the same way, I think some of us have maybe, we're believing the decoration of our lives a little too much. See, some of us have worked real hard. You've learned, you've studied, you've taken the test, you've passed the test. Some of us have been promoted, you've put the work in, right? And, and you've gotten your life to a place where it seems like things are looking up, things are going good. Some of you can see your future uh, for the next five years or 10 or 20 or whatever. And, and things seem to be going so well that for the most part, you don't think the gospel has any relation to your day-to-day -day life. The indictment here for us is that we are so high on our own supply that we actually believe we can get to where we need to be in this life without the gospel. And as a result, when the gospel is threatened, what I do? Did I do something? 
Oh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Not yet. Is that too much? Like good as the rapper? I'm sorry. <clears throat> I'm sorry, somebody was affecting their ability to hear. You're like, well, why does the pastor have that cup? I promise it was water in the cup. Maybe we need to say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm on live preaching. <laughs> At least it wasn't a red solo cup. That would have been. <laughs> that, that might have offended the guy. <laughs> sorry. Okay, we're getting back real spiritual right now. Here it is. <clears throat> But so for some people, there is this notion that you can pretty much take care of things on your own. So when you hear that the gospel, the origin story of the gospel actually doesn't begin with us, actually doesn't start with us. For some of us, it doesn't even seem like it's that big of a deal because we feel like we're in our day to day situation. What I will have, what I won't have is really up to me. And I think this is why the Galatian church had such an issue with this. I'll share my, my, my personal story, right? So as a kid, I was one of those children uh, that because of an unhealthy home situation, about five, six, seven, uh, there was this little window <clears throat> in our room and we lived in a two bedroom uh, townhouse in Auburn Hills at the time. And, and I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would look out this window and it was just a little window, wasn't very big. But I would hope that my real family was coming to get me at some point. As a kid, I had this weird thing. I felt like somehow, uh, at the time, I think I might have bought the line historic, so forgive me. But I was like, I think he dropped me off at the wrong place. Like a couple people in my house look like me, but mm, I don't think this is where I'm supposed to be. I was one of those kids that I was trying to do the right stuff to get noticed in a positive light in my house, right? I was, I was hey, hey, if I was too loud, okay, let me be quiet, right? If I'm doing too much of this, let me change my behavior. I was one of those kids, even at like six and seven, it's crazy. And through God's own providence, I end up uh, giving, getting, uh, uh, I don't know, passed, um, given, shared, who knows. Uh, I went to live with my grandparents right? And I get to my grandmother's house, and I literally remember this. This is it's crazy that I remember. It actually may answer a lot of questions. But uh, I remember the first night I went to live with my grandparents, and I got in this big old bed, and my grandmother tucked me in, and she said this phrase that, that grandmothers used to say. I don't know if they still do. She said, uh, you all get, you all in, you tucked in nice and tight. Don't let the bed bugs bite. Stay nice and toasty. I love you. I'm going to see you in the morning. This, I literally remember, I can see her face in my mind's eye. I know, it doesn't seem like, well, Fonz, you having one of your moments again. Nah. When you have experience needing to earn acceptance, and you are transitioned into a situation where now you just have it, This doesn't know what to do. 
See, as a child, at seven, eight years old, I went from having to, why doesn't this guy like me? I don't know what was wrong with this guy, this stepfather role that I had, to I end up with my grandfather, and, and now I got this older guy who, who never had a son of his own. So immediately, we're holding the light, and he's teaching me. Immediately, I step into a place of sonship, and I realize I actually don't have to try to get my parents' attention. You know, one time I actually asked my grandmother, hey, uh, why do y'all like me so much around here? It's different over here. <laughs> What's going on? I remember my grandmother's face. Now, you got to understand my grandma. My grandmother was uh, from the west side of Detroit, right? Uh, she grew up in a family of about 12, I believe. Uh, she grew up in the kind of family where the, the, the young ladies might fight more than the young guys, if you get my meaning. You understand what I'm saying? All right, she's a different kind, different breed. Like my grandmother played field hockey. I don't even know black people that play field hockey, let alone when she was able to play field hockey. I don't even understand. She went to Northern, I'm told that school's not around anymore. I guess they had field hockey. Well, I don't even know, it just, it tells you something, all right? And I remember her face when I asked, why do you like me? I remember her disposition changed and it was so, what? You're my grandson, I love you. Now I know. Fonz, what does this have to do with Galatians? Well, this is what it has to do. When you're used to having to earn your sense of acceptance and approval, and then now someone says, hey, guess what? You could never earn your acceptance with God. You never had a shot at it anyway. So what he did was bring his acceptance to you in a person. And now, although you feel the need to earn it, you don't have to. I think I understood uh, or understand why the Galatian church was struggling when these Judaizers came down. It's because the truth is they're feeling incomplete. It feels like a scandal. They got the gospel easy. They just get to believe. They don't have to do anything. At a time where the Roman Greco, Greco like this, this Roman culture is so built on all of these different guys that you got to appease and that you got to perform and that you got to do this. Like, it's crazy the amount of gods and the amount of religious structures and systems of that day. And the Galatians are sitting here, and people are maybe at the market like, yeah, so what do you do to be acceptable to your God? And they're like, Paul said, we just got to believe. We just believe that he sent his son to die for our sins, and he paid the penalty we deserved. We were supposed to get hell, death, eternal damnation, and somehow we get life forevermore. And they're like, wow, really? Well, what do you have to do now? They're like, just appreciate Jesus, live in worship him, depend every single day on the Holy Spirit. And they're like, no, 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 no. I mean, but like, what do you got to eat? And they're like, well, we can eat whatever we want to, you know, bacon, salad, it's whatever. It seems funny but do you know it's reverse legalism to try and earn something or to try, I'm sorry, it's reverse legalism to try and keep something that you never earned in the first place? The idea is this, you can't be good enough to keep what you weren't good enough to get in the first place. So, 
it would make sense that this group of people, when the Judaizers come down and say, hey, you got the gospel, great. Now you need to learn how to observe this Jewish calendar. Now let me teach you about what's kosher. You ever heard that word? Kosher. And you and I hear this and go, well, why would they do that? It's because the human heart can't fathom, can't fathom a total restriction from our ability to work or create or earn a better state for us. It, it makes no sense to us. We, 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 we short circuit in a sense. Like our hearts can't handle total, full acceptance and love. I know this is, this is unpopular, but do you realize that some churches, the problem isn't, Jesus, this is going to sound weird, I know. For some churches, the problem isn't that everybody in there is crazy. The problem from some churches is that people have not learned how to be free in Christ. I'll be honest with you. I grew up in the kind of church where it was a struggle to be free in Christ. There is this tendency from the human heart to constantly want to put one hand on the wheel. Because if me and God are driving, oh, I did something. If me and God are keeping my marriage together, oh, I'm doing something. If me and Jesus are raising these kids, So Paul's essential message is this. Whatever you have, whatever you do, whatever thing that you think makes you acceptable to a holy, loving, truthful, righteous, just God that isn't named Jesus the Christ is a thousand percent wrong and will fail you ultimately. And here we are in 2022 thinking, well, okay, Fonz, now how do we apply this? Like, how do we make sense out of all of this? Because today, uh, it's not as much a, a Jewish, you know, somebody's not, not trying to push on us to be Jewish or to observe the Mosaic law. And let's be clear, uh, we're not saying that being Jewish is the problem. We're not saying that Jews are, are, are the, the issue, even when Paul's talking. We see Paul actually more aggressive to the Galatians than he does about these Judaizers. He said, I spent time with you. I understand they bugging, but I taught you. <laughs> the, the direction of his attention is almost more on this people that he's walked with than it is with other people who are getting it twisted. He's saying, I told you the truth when I was with you. I taught you not from a man, not what I learned. I taught you exactly what Jesus taught me by revelation. So why have you forgotten that and left the only person that can make you truly holy? Why have you been fooled into thinking that you need to do something to help make you more attractive to God the Father? And if we were to try to uh, make it 2022, let's, uh, let's apply it, let's translate it to here and now. See, some of us love to read our Bible. Some of us low-key are Bible scholars. Now, we don't say it because then you got you know, <laughs> to deal with it Then if you say it out loud. But you love to get in your Bible and prove or disprove something. 
you got long statuses that you don't post. Long responses that you don't hit the button on. And here's the thing, reading your Bible, is that bad? Of course not. But do you think for a second that your reading the Bible saves you? Do you think that when the Holy God looks at you and your sin, he goes, oh, they in Bible study. The only thing that, that literally creates a connection between a holy, reverent God and sinful us is Jesus and the cross. And believe it or not, that cannot be added to even subtly by your good works and your disciplines. So even those of us who love the Bible, some of us should love it. We, that's a whole nother, we'll get to y'all next week. The idea is uh, that, that while we love the scriptures, and yes, we read the scriptures, we don't do that to make us more attractive. We don't do that to add to the finished work of Jesus. We do it because the work of Jesus now makes us righteous and holy, and we want to know what this means. We want to know how we're supposed to live now. We want to know what the implications of this grace that we didn't work to get mean. Or maybe some of us, we, we, we give to the poor. That's your thing. You serve. Some of you, you're a need meter. You find the need and you meet it. That's how you get down. You come from a long line of need meters. Need meters. Your grandmother before you was... You can't laugh while I'm doing the thing. <laughs> I couldn't hold it. The idea is... That's your thing. It makes you feel good. You have this sense when you are meeting needs for the people of God that, that you're, you're fulfilling his work on your life, his call on your life. And when you're not meeting needs, somehow you can't lift your gaze in his presence. Why? What does that mean? It means you think in some way that your ability to meet needs was making you righteous to a holy God. What that means is you added need meeting in with Jesus. It's the work and there it is, the work of the Son of God and your ability to meet needs. Give to the poor. Be available for those who have uh, less. Be available for those who need you. And then some of us are driving ourselves crazy because we are trying to add our need meeting ability to the God. The I the idea is this. Uh, we can't add to it. It doesn't matter your, your, your Bible study, the way you read, the way you, you meet needs. For some of us, and I promise I'm going to keep going, but for some of us, oh, it's the experiences we have. Oh, nobody worships the way we worship. Oh, our prophetic encounter, our engagement, our apostolic, our whatever other adjectives you want to put in front of it. It's present day, rhema, any, any words you want to throw. All my experiences with God are so powerful. So I just, on my face for hours, it's, it's a thick cloud in the room. And then, when you don't have one of those experiences for a week, you feel ashamed in his presence. What does that mean? It means you thought on some level, it's the finished work of the cross and your experiences. Gospel is not an experience. <sighs> Doesn't matter 
if you're on your face or if you're standing erect, if you're weeping uncontrollably or straight-faced. The gospel is not a feeling. Again, and having more feelings doesn't make you more righteous. It does not make you more attractive to a holy God. The only thing that makes you acceptable or righteous is the finished work of his son and your belief in him. So Paul goes through his origin story, and it seems like maybe Paul is bragging or maybe Paul is defending himself. But what he's really doing is he's defending the origin of the gospel. See, he defends the origin of the gospel inside his own origin story. What he's saying is the gospel did not originate with any man. This is not man's gospel. And let's be clear, if it were, this is not the gospel that a man would make. Out of all of the Gospels that a man can make and have, let's be honest, not one of them is the Gospel that says, hey, you can't do anything. <laughs> of all of the Gospels for a man to create, would a man create a Gospel that says, hey, guess what? You can't do anything. <laughs> this literally happens not because of you, in spite of you. How could Paul tell his story like, 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 this is, ah, uh, okay, I'm out of, I'm, okay, we're going, I got a few more, we're going to meet and greet, I promise, we're going to greet and meet A few more, and we're almost done. You wasn't expecting that. First closing, there it is. <clears throat> In verse, <laughs> don't make me regret, In verse 13, it says this, uh, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Let me pause right there, okay? Let's be honest. Take out persecuting the church violently, because that probably won't do it as much. But everything else is what we covet. Like Paul would get mad respect his old self today. Some people are praying for this right now. God, I just need you to make me so focused. I just need to be blind. You know, I just need to be doing your will and nothing else. And I don't want to get sidetracked. I just want to obey you. I just want to hear it. I just want to do it. I want to be zealous. I want to be everything else, but I just want to do it. And I feel like we're going to get to heaven, you know, scarcely. And one day, you know, I feel like God's going to be like hilariously, lovingly laughing at us. Like all the things we kept begging and asking for, and he was like, well, every day you could have just like, <laughs> like could have just done it. <laughs> like you were like asking for like a calling and all of that. Like your next door neighbor like needed you like all the time and you didn't like. Like there's people in your house that like look like you that you have like years with and you like. <laughs> we're so wired to want a next state. We can't, uh, we, like, do you realize some of us right now are struggling because we think we know what we're supposed to do, but we don't like the way we're supposed to do it right now. <laughs> yeah. You want to come, you want to sit down past Sunday for an hour and talk about, hey, okay, how do I get the courage and the boldness to be who God has called me to be right here when I don't really like what's going on around me right now? Help me. <laughs> I'm sorry, somebody's gonna say that we had a conversation and that's you. I promise we don't know anybody that said that. I just made that up, okay? 
Somebody's going to say, Fonz is talking about me. I'm not, I promise. The point is that we'll bring this angst into the house of the Lord when he's already revealed to you what to do. You just don't like the setting or environment you're in right now, so you refuse to be obedient, not knowing until you are obedient, the setting won't change. All right, that was, that was extra. <laughs> All right. So he said, I was going hard. Extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. You better be careful on trying to please the ancestors. You better hold on. Get so caught up in the ancestors, you miss your heavenly father. That's a problem. Anyway, so he said, I was zealously going for these fathers, these ancient fathers. I was trying to uphold the traditions. I was better at the law than most people, he's saying, until I had this encounter with God. Now watch how he tells his own story. Watch how he shares this in verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, when he who had set me apart before I was born, I've read this line a hundred times in the last week. I can't read it straight through. When he who set me apart before I was born, you can tell a lot by a person by the way they tell their story. Some of us tell our stories and the person of origin in our story is our parent. The setting around what happened when we got born, you know, when we were born. Like if I tell my story from that same angle, it's, oh, my mom was 16, dad was 18, pastor's kid, wasn't supposed to do it, they did it, I showed up, she was trying to abort me, didn't get the money, ha ha, May 30th, I popped up. But when you come into contact with the true origin of your story, you realize that my story didn't start when my mother met my father. It extends beyond that. He says, God set me apart before I was born. My story didn't meet because Marcet met Alfonso. Marcet met Alfonso because my story had already begun. Now, now, quickly, some of you are going to go, well, <clears throat> that sounds cool for you, but you don't know what the birthing of my life was about. You don't know what situation my parents had that got me here. And I realize there are some unfathomable situations. Some of people I know and love, and they've had incredibly hard ways that they were born. But even that does not mean that God was, was impotent or that he lacked control. It just means that God, even in these ugly, incredibly hard situations, has the ability to bring about true beauty from brokenness. Even the brokenness that may have surrounded your birth can still be a great witness and testimony of his power in these situations. Can you see that? How you see your story matters. Don't you give the credit for how you came to be just to your parents. That would negate that your story, that would, that would infer your story started there. It didn't. It exceeds that. He said, before I was born, God marked me. This man persecuted the church violently. Marked by God. He said, I was a Jew of Jews. <laughs> I taught Jews how to Jew, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
I said I was going to take that one out. That's my bad. <laughs> the idea was I got down. Like I, the way they're trying to get you out to live, Paul knew it, which, again, this speaks to the accusation against him that Paul only knew this skewed version. No, Paul knew the law the same way they did. He knew it better than most. It wasn't like he was preaching some other gospel because uh, he forgot or because he hadn't learned it the right way. He knew it. What he was telling them is when God, who had marked him, made time, decided that this is the moment that God will reveal his son Jesus in and through Paul, and then immediately call him, literally tell him, hey, you are going to preach me to the Gentiles. Now, that doesn't happen for everybody, and this isn't a prescriptive situation where now all of us think that we all have to get converted and know our purposes immediately. This isn't prescriptive, it's descriptive, meaning it doesn't mean you need to go home and, okay, I need to have the exact same conversion experience Paul did for me to be saved. That's not what this means. All right? Some people get it early, quick. Some people, years. Some people have been walking with them 30 years, still ain't 100% sure. All of those are fact. We're not saying you have to do that. But Paul is letting us know what his origin story was like and that his origin story really connects to the origin story of the gospel. All right, I at least got to read a couple more, and then I don't want to say my second close. I want to hold that for a few minutes. Hold on. I don't want to burn that. 16, it says, all right, go back to 15. It says this, uh, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me or in me, another translation says, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were the apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas or Peter uh, and remained with him 15 days. I want to point out that if people are saying you went to Jerusalem to to get your gospel, wouldn't it be easier to just kind of leave that part out and be like, yeah, you know, so I was three years, I was saved, and I was out here in ministry, and then I did some other stuff. Paul is so, so confident in God's story in his life that he doesn't need to skew details or leave stuff out. Paul doesn't need to dress things up. He actually tells them, yeah, I did go to Jerusalem. And yeah, I did talk to Peter, who was like the main guy, right? He was like one of the, you know, the loud kind of spokesmen for the gospel at that time. He said, I I talked to him, but I was only there for 15 days. I saw him. I saw the Lord's brother. I got acquainted with them. But again, they did not teach me the gospel. I did not get it from them. I was with them. Even this is Paul's ability to be honest about where he's been and what he's done, knowing that God is the one who works the details all out together, together to accomplish his purposes. I'm a nerd. I'm going to have a moment with y'all for a second. There is this term in cinema called the donomai. Now, the donomai uh, is actually when all of the storylines in a movie are gathered up and they're given resolve at the end of a movie. Now, some, uh, like The Sopranos, like last episode, for example, the donomai is to leave you scratching your head and have you wonder, will they come back? What's happening? Did he die? We don't know. Like, sometimes that's a part of it. But the best ones are the ones that resolve every single storyline perfectly. So that at the end of the event, at the end of the movie, every question you have is answered by the way it is resolved. 
One of the most amazing elements of our placing faith in Jesus is that we no longer take responsibility to try and close the storylines of our lives. I promise I said more than you think I said. I don't take responsibility for trying to get me to a resolute end in my life. I don't need to be the one that brings everything together, that works it all together to now say, ha ha, this is what was meant the entire time. Oh, if we could experience the freedom and the liberty of wholly depending on the Holy Spirit to accomplish the reason for our births and not us instead. Some of y'all are so heavy. No, no, I did that wrong. I'm sorry. Some of us are so heavy laden, so burdened with glorious purpose because we essentially think this gospel started with us. We think this life started with us. This is why this is huge. Why does this matter, Fonz? Why is it such a big deal that the origin of the gospel be, be found holy in heaven, be found holy in the person and work of Jesus and not in man? It's because if it is in us, then you and I are in for a world of hurt and stress. Because it means help ain't coming. It means, yes, read every book you can. Yes, go to every conference because you are your own ability to save yourself. If the gospel started in man, well, yes, you, I hope you get a chance to go talk to your mom and find out everything they did. Talk to your dad. Find your story of origin if the gospel started with man. But if the origin of the gospel is not with us and started with God, then it means the onus of fulfilling his will isn't on you. What your kids become, that soul pressure is not on you. I'm saying that with a 17-year-old. I got one more year before she goes to college. You know how many things? I got a list. The biggest the systematic theology book of things I want to teach her. Things she should know. Some spiritual, some not so much. She's a daughter of mine. She's my little girl. I want to teach her. I want her to know. Even in that, though, I can't put more pressure on me to try to accomplish his purpose. Some of us are living with that. We think the gospel started with us. We think that we can put a hand in and we can, we can help make it. We can help make the dish. We can help God out. Help God get to a quicker end here. God's moving in the lives of our friends and family, moving in the lives of people we know, and we want to reach our hand in and help him out. We want to steady what God is disturbing. Or we want to disturb what God is steadying. That's us thinking that the gospel started from man. That's us thinking that this needs us. It does not. This does not start with us. Its origin, again, is above. It extends beyond us. I'm done. But here's the question. Have you had a radical encounter with the gospel? Like the gospel of Jesus, not the gospel of your works. I find most people have had radical encounters with the gospel of their own hands. 
Most of us have had times when we really hunkered down and we bust through and, and we just stayed up all night and we didn't sleep and we got it turned in on time. We're acquainted with the works of our hands. We know how we get down. We know what we're able to do. But I'm saying, have you had an encounter with Jesus and his finished work? Do you know what it means to be totally accepted and have done nothing to earn or deserve it? How are you doing with that? How do you handle those feelings when you would feel so much better if you had a hand on the wheel? If you were able to kind of drive or guide your lives a little better. Things would make more sense to you if you were consulted in the affairs of your life. And yet, the origin of the story of the gospel does not begin with us. It extends beyond us. Which means for some of us, it's considered negative. Others of us, you know, we, we, we want to control. We want to put our hands. We want to affect the outcomes. And God is saying he does not need us. He doesn't need us to try and prove or earn. Again, reverse legalism. This idea that I know I wasn't good enough to get grace in the first place, but now that I got it, I'm going to be real good and I'm going to keep it. Still legalism. Still legalism. You didn't get it because of what you were doing, so you can't keep it because of what you are doing. I don't know, some people are gonna say, Well, Fonz, you're making it real easy for people to take advantage of grace. <laughs> That's funny how grace works like that. <laughs> That's how you know it's grace. It seems like it's putting something in a position to be taken advantage of. People get something that they didn't work for, didn't earn, and yet it's freely available every single day. God is looking at you. He's not judging. Oh, yeah, you read the Bible this many times. You gave to the poor this many times. You've had this many powerful prophetic PPP exalting or experiences with God. Heaven ain't keeping count. not have to make the Christian life more consternated because we want to feel better. We want to feel more accepted to a holy, loving, powerful, mighty God. The truth is that has been accomplished in one person and one person only and his name is Jesus. That is the gospel. That he doesn't require you to make yourself more attractive for the cross, to, to be near and dear, for it to be present in your life. But because of it, oh, you'll change. Oh, when you truly see the gospel, oh, it'll change everything about you. I'm convinced there's some people who think they know it. I don't know if they do. Some people heard it talked about. I don't know if it's the same thing. When you come to know that you have been freely, fully accepted right now, could you imagine if I set kids down at a table and said, hey, hey, kids, we're about to play a game. And there's two things you need to know about the game. And the first thing is, you're all winners. Everybody here at the table, you all win. 
and the process the, the point of the game is just to to literally shine a light to exalt this one central figure in person and that all of you are already winners this is really in a microcosm what life is like on this side of Christ you and I are not trying to do things or throw things at heaven for us to be accepted. Everything we do comes by way of being accepted. We study, we teach the Bible, we love one another, we give like no one else. We, we give our money, we give our resources, we freely give. We love to be together as a family. Why? Because we tasted what it means to be holy and freely accepted what we're called into this is the kind of church and community that God has caused us to be of people who understand that there is nothing else needed beyond the finished work of cross of the cross make sense let's pray God we thank you that you see us through the blood of your son Jesus we thank you father that Jesus has shed pure and sinless blood for us and that blood because of it there is remission of sins the penalty of our sin has been paid for that debt has been taken care of and just like Jesus said to tell us die or it is finished uh, there is nothing that we can do to add to the finished work of the cross so father would you free us by the power of the Holy Spirit would there be with us this this deep sense of confidence in what you've done where we wouldn't need to add to it we wouldn't need to do more to affect or impact what you've done father so many are struggling trying to 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 earn freedom trying to to work to make it make sense in our broken hearts and god i pray now that you would be peace that you would be, speak peace and freedom to our souls god we would understand that our uh, uh, that the requirement father for us is one of faith we have been saved by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone we thank you and we love you in jesus name we pray amen thank you for listening to the detroit church podcast we'd love you to subscribe like and rate and if you're not already you can follow us on social media by searching for detroit church